In 2022, I spent uh, six months uh, leading our church through a study of the end times, and um, it was, for me personally, probably the, one of the most edifying and empowering uh, studies that I have done as a pastor in years, to be quite honest with you. Um, my It's called eschatology. My eschatology, and that's just simply your theology of the end of the age, coming events, what's gonna, what's happening out there prophetically as the scriptures have revealed. So eschatology was um, not really one of my favorite subjects early on in ministry. It's common with a lot of young people. A lot of young people don't really care about the end of the age because they're young and that all that seems kind of like way out there and it's just not as important as, you know, what does the word say about <laughs> finding me a wife or a husband or something. But, uh, so eschatology was just kind of on the back burner for years. But, um, as I began to get a little bit more in tune with what was going on in the world around me, as I looked at my children getting older and, um, entering into their adult years, I started thinking, what, what is this world really going to be like for my children's children? And if time is allowed, then my great-grandchildren. What am I doing now to speak into the preparation of people for what's coming at the end of the age? And because I was raised in a mindset that basically summarized the end of the age as, yeah, a lot of terrible stuff's going to happen on earth, but don't worry because we're getting raptured out of here first and just let them deal with it because we're going to be up at heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb celebrating. And sadly, that is not what the scriptures teach at all. And I don't have time to go down that road right now, but if you're interested, all you got to do is um, find the Transforming Truth app, that's my media ministry, and uh, find the um, the series on the end times. I forget what I called it. Golly, I wish I could remember. But there's a series on the Transforming app that would have been in the, uh, in the middle of 2022 when it was preached. And um, I think it was called, it was, it was called Discerning the Days discerning the days is that end time series and you can watch those messages on the transforming truth app or you can listen to them but my point being is this um i wasn't really ever led up until 2022 to do a thematic verse by verse situation by situation big picture headline prophetically through the scriptures primarily the book of revelation and kind of put together what we should be expecting so it was an incredibly rewarding uh, series for me. Um, a lot of people woke up at our church during that because they too were kind of under the anesthesia of saying, well, it doesn't really matter what's going to happen because I'm not going to be here. And then when I showed them in the scripture, like you might very well be here and you will be here if this stuff occurs soon and you don't die. Um, and so preparing people for the end of the age. Now, one of the reasons, <clears throat> pardon me, one of the reasons that I felt led to kind of talk to you guys last week, last podcast about money is because money now ties into the end of the age, both practically speaking on earth, but also what we do with our money now has a massive impact on the rewards we receive that will affect us. I will say it this way, in part, what you do with your money now determines your capacity and your authority in the kingdom to come. And lots of Christians don't connect those dots. And so last week, I just started talking to you a little bit about money, and I really just felt the Lord on it. 
and I want to continue there a little bit this week because I, I just don't think pastors and, and look guys, I've been doing this in the local church under the title of pastor for a very long time. So I'm not pointing fingers. I'm saying we who have the title of pastor and we're Bible teachers and we're leading congregations. We've kind of left eschatology to the prophets. And the fact of the matter is, is we do need the prophetic voice about the end of the age sounding the alarm, but we also need the specific teachings of scripture. We need to lead and shepherd people. So, I mean, frankly, it's prophetic, it's pastoral, and it's didactic, it's teaching. We need all three of those to blend. We need prophets to sound the alarm, wake up, and then we need teachers to teach what the Bible actually says, because a lot of people have been deceived into thinking it doesn't matter what's going to happen on earth because I'm not going to be here. That is just not true. And so I want to talk to you about like making sure that you're living now, and especially in the context of what we're talking about, your finances, in a way that prepares you for the best possible eternal outcome. So I was in 1 Timothy 6, last episode of Mavericks and Misfits, and Um, I left us with Paul's words to Timothy that says, um, for rich, the rich in this present age, charge them not to be arrogant and not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. And instead to, he says, to set, set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. That's a great verse. God richly provides us everything to enjoy. That means what God provides for us is what we need to enjoy this life. Where does the trouble come? Well, that was earlier on in 1 Timothy 6. It's when people desire to be rich. And when they desire to be rich, they're going to live with a motivation to make money and keep money and buy things that they want with money. That's their motivation. Notice the wealth is not the problem. The, the goods that can be bought are not the problem. The problem is that desire, that innate desire, which I'm in America. And so the American culture, everything in the, everything in the American culture is geared towards telling you, you need more money because money buys you everything you want. And that is why money is the cultural um, option to God. Why do you need Jesus? Why do you need God? All you need is money because money is a God, little g, that will take care of you just like your big G God that you believe in will take care of you. So the culture says, forget God. God restricts. God demands that you do things his way. (laughs) Even the the lost culture knows that Jesus is Lord. So they, they have an innate understanding that if you come to Jesus, it's his lordship is in play. That means you don't, you're not a free agent. You don't get just to do everything your flesh wants to do. And the world says, no, I don't like that. And so forget Jesus, forget God, forget Christianity, forget the church, forget all that. Let's just bow at the altar of finance and let's serve that God with everything we have because that God will give me everything I want. And what's interesting is the scripture actually says, no, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Set your hope on God. God will richly provide you with everything to enjoy. So let me just ask you a question before moving on, because that's just Bible. Okay. That's not me. By the way, I'm not taking up an offering. I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I'm trying to help you. One of the things, if you're new to Mavericks and Misfits, I don't ask for your money. I don't ask for you to do anything. 
I just, this is 100% me pouring into you. So I can say this and be 100% free of any fear that somebody's going to misunderstand me because Jeff's just talking about money because he wants ours. Wrong. I'm talking to you about money because the Bible does. And what I want is I want you to stand before the Lord at the end of the age, knowing what he expected, knowing what you had the power to do, and then knowing that you said yes to his ways while you said no to the ways of the earth. So if he provides you richly everything to enjoy, let me just ask you, do you enjoy what God has provided? Some of you are blessed. Some of you are financially well off. God bless you. That's awesome because God did that for you. Paul would write in another place, what does a man have? No, yeah. Um, what does a man have that he did not receive? And if you have received it, why do you boast as though you have not received it? Like everything we have, God gave us. Do you enjoy it? And if he's made you wealthy, that's awesome. What are you doing with the wealth? That is so important, especially as we're approaching the end of the age. So let me just tell you a couple of things. And then I'm going to tie this into some thoughts from the book of Revelation. But this is what God goes on to say in 1 Timothy 6. He says in verse 18 concerning wealthy people. And I will press pause here for a second. Everybody listening to this right now, you are compared to all generations of believers and most believers that are alive today, you are wealthy. We have far more now as Christians than any generation has ever had in the church. Those of you that are making $14,000 a year driving a 20-year-old car or taking the bus who have three shirts and three pair of pants and five pair of socks and four pair of underwear, you are more wealthy than most Christians have ever been ever in the existence of the church. And you are more wealthy than most of our brothers and sisters that are alive right now who have nothing and many of them have lost what they did have when they became Christians. They lost it because of persecution. So when I'm reading these verses that it's speaking to the wealthy, I'm speaking to me and I'm speaking to you. A matter of fact, if you're, if you've got a device that is playing a podcast, that's a luxury. If you're in your car, that's a luxury. If you're listening on your phone or your tablet, your computer, that is a luxury. You're blessed. Don't be ashamed of it, but own it. You're blessed. You're wealthy. Therefore, you and I are accountable as those to whom God has entrusted wealth. So what does he tell us to do? Verse 18 of 1 Timothy 6. He says, they are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Now just stop. That's a word of the Lord from the preserved word of God that speaks directly to you about your wealth. And again, you're not comparing yourself to whoever the most, you're not we're not comparing ourselves to Bill Gates, Elon Musk, the Kardashians, or whoever it is that you view as hyper wealthy. We're talking about what has God given you and what has God given me? Well, whatever it is, we are to intentionally look at it and say, with this income, with these possessions, my Bible says I am to do good with it, that I am to be rich in good works. Remember, he said, those that desire to be rich will fall into a trap. They'll pierce themselves through with sorrows. They'll end up shipwrecked. He said that earlier. 
in first Timothy six. Now he's saying, but you can be rich and the truest wealth is to be rich in good works. And he describes that as being generous and ready to share. Wow. Um, I've been in church minister, as I mentioned earlier, since 1996. So that's not a short time. And I, I have purposefully never been involved in church finances. When they made me the senior pastor back in 2002, after being a junior pastor, uh, the senior pastor, part of the role at that church was he was involved in counting the money and, you know, doing, I told them on day one, I said, I don't want to have anything to do with the money. And it wasn't a matter of me not trusting myself, you know, but it was an issue of, I don't want to be the guy who preaches about money and who counts the money. Cause I don't know. I don't want to know who gives what in our church. Let me tell you the reason why, cause I'm not spiritual enough to know that if a person doesn't give, I'm probably not spiritual enough not to be aggravated and irritated and view that person in an unhealthy way. So I told, I remember telling the deacons back then, I was like, y'all got to come up with a new plan. I don't have anything to do on Monday mornings with counting money. I want to get into the word of God. So y'all handle the money. And they did. And I've made that a principle uh, all throughout my ministry. And to this very day, I don't know who gives what at the church I pastor. And that's been for years. And so my point being is this, Christians don't give. And like people think that's okay. And because there are a thousand excuses that Christians can have easily at hand not to give, they just choose not to give. Or they give at such a paltry level that all it does is give them the ability to technically say they give unto the Lord, but they don't give generously. They don't use their finances with the intentional pursuit of being rich in good works, being generous to other people, and ready to share. In other words, ready to share means you are so intentional about your giving that you're looking for opportunities to give more. And this is what Paul says. Paul says for those Christians that are doing good with their wealth, they are being rich in good works, they are generous and ready to share. This is what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians, excuse me, First Timothy 6, 19. Paul says, those people are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. So they so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you get that? The Bible says that those who are rich in good works, doing good with what they own, that are generous and ready to share, are storing up by doing that, by giving, by sowing, by pouring into the kingdom, by living generously towards other people, by doing good works with their money in hand, being ready to share for any cause that God brings across their path, those people that engage in that lifestyle of releasing into the kingdom with their finances, they are building up treasure for themselves. Don't miss that. You have an individual eternal account in heaven. Your treasure goes before you when you release it here. You're literally, you don't lose it when you sow it here. You plant it. You are literally taking a financial seed and planting it in earth. You release it in the present. And the Bible says that when you do so as a pattern of your life, the result is that you are storing up treasure for yourself. 
that means in some way that may be difficult to understand because we are time bound, we are earth bound, we are space bound, and we are limited in our, our understanding, but it can't not be true that Jesus said it, Paul writes it right here, that when we give, we are, we are putting treasure in some form of accounting in heaven. That's not like a real bank account with a number, but it is, according to the word of God, a storehouse for your future. Now, what does that mean? Because we know that it can't mean just earthly future. I do believe you have access to it. I mentioned that in the last podcast that like, I don't have to wait till I get to heaven before I get to access all the treasure that I'm storing up. I can have confidence right now that when I'm faithful in my finances and I'm giving under the work of the Lord, I can have confidence that when unexpected, maybe even large needs arise, I can, I don't panic. I don't, I don't, I'm not dependent on the bank giving me a loan. I don't have to wring my hands and wonder how I'm going to make it through. Why? Because I've honored my father and my father honors those that honor him. A lot of people don't have that luxury. They don't have the, the clean conscience to say when, when, when trouble hits financially, they panic because they know in their heart of hearts that they have not been doing things God's way. So now as they have used their money for themselves, now it's up to themselves to figure out how to get them out of that, get themselves out of the mess that they, they've, they found themselves in. But not if you're doing good with your money, not if you're being rich in good works, not if you're being generous and ready to share, because if you're doing that, you're storing up treasure for yourself as a good foundation for your future, both here on earth and in glory. We just, guys, we don't, we don't think through this stuff enough. And I think that as, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know if I can say this. I'm going to say it. I just say stuff sometimes that I, I wonder later how it was received, but it, it, it's true. Like, um, if you're not real in your Christianity with your money, you should be worried for your soul. I'm not saying that everybody that struggles to give or doesn't know how to be generous is not saved. But what I'm saying is it's a trust issue. Like how could somebody trust a God they've never seen with their eternal soul when they come to Jesus Christ? How could that be valid? And yet they can't trust God with their monthly bills or their future. And the way that that distrust is displayed is they don't give. They go to church, they sing, they receive, they pray, they may even serve, but they don't give. You have a trust issue. You don't have financial issues. You have a trust issue. And so I just don't, and, and again, I've already told you, especially if you're, you're part of the flock that I lead, um, I have no idea a, that you're listening, B, what you give. So I have no clue. So I, I, there's such freedom for me to be able to say this to an audience I cannot see and to trust the Lord that he's working in hearts. Some, of, some Christians rob God. They literally build up their own lives and they don't give. Not to mention the practical part. I mean, here, here's something. Yeah, let me just say it this way. Like as one, I, I actually live by faith. I lead in, in the church I've led. And then the previous church I was in for 20 something years, um, 
I, I led and, and for many years I've said, I don't need a raise. I said that for a decade, uh, for 10 years, um, back in the day, uh, and, and probably the, from 2005 to 2015, I just said, yeah, I'm not going to take a raise. I feel like God's blessing and he's, he's meeting my needs. And the church I've been at now, I've never taken a raise. It's only been two years, but I've never taken a raise. That doesn't make me a hero. It simply says this, my income is based on what people give. And I cannot imagine you being a part of a local church and you won't give to support the leadership that that church employs to take care of you spiritually. Paul once said, if I have sown unto you spiritual things, is it any wonder that I would reap your natural things? In other words, he's saying, I've poured in God's treasure to you. Of course, I should be able to be blessed at times through your monetary treasure. It's a a kingdom principle. You don't muzzle the one who treads the corn. That's the Old Testament version. In other words, don't muzzle the ox when he's treading out the corn. Give the ox the ability to eat some of the corn that he's working in. And it's the same way with leaders. So guys, let me just say this. At the risk of sounding self-serving, I don't even care. I, if you don't give but you receive from your church, they, they, they pray for you. They pour into you spiritually with the word of God. The Bible says those that pour out the word of God, those that labor in the word are worthy of a double portion. So God says, I place double portion value on those that pour the word into you, but those that go to churches and hear the word that the preacher labors over and they give nothing, that's just so wrong. Some of you won't like what I'm saying. That's okay. Um, It's a test, man. It's a test because it's a warning and a test. Because if we do not, if our Christianity stops at our debit card, Whew, you better be worried. Now, let me give you this. You know what the end of the age is going to look like? It's going to look like everybody on earth not having full control over their finances unless they take the mark of the beast. Did you know that? Revelation 13 talks about the, the regime of the Antichrist and how he will sit atop a global government that literally controls the global economy. Now, whether it's crypto, whether it is some other form of currency, whether it is a new global dollar or whatever, I don't know. I just know that the Bible is very clear that the financial markets, all financial commerce will be controlled by the Antichrist regime. And guess what? If you take the mark of the beast, you'll be okay for a little bit because they'll let you spend what you've accumulated and earned. It'll still be under their control, but you won't lose it. But for those Christians that are living at that time who refuse to take the mark of the beast, you won't be able to do a single thing with all the money you've earned, accumulated, hoarded, and trusted in. The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 36, that the beast, that is the propaganda machine, the Antichrist, a very real person who's probably alive right now and making his way to this eventual position 
of dominating the world as the Antichrist. It says that he will cause all people, both small and great. This is Revelation 13, 16. He will cause all people, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave. He will cause them to be marked on the right hand or forehead. That's the mark of the beast. Verse 17, the very next verse says that the mark of the beast distinguishes people. And what is the outflow of that distinction placed upon people with the mark of the beast? That unless the person has the mark, they will not be able to buy or sell. And then verse 18 says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who under, has understanding calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man and his number is 666. So we've all seen this scary, you know, kind of Hollywood representation of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, the 666. For those of you that are a little older, you remember the Omen movies? Do not watch those movies, by the way, Christian friend. Sadly, I was exposed to those movies at age 8, 9, and 10. It's so demonic and terrible. But it's about the little boy who was born the Antichrist. He had 666 tattooed in his head. It was terrible. But my point is, is it's based off of biblical teaching. It was an accurate representation of a biblical teaching. But the mark of the beast is real. And the mark of the beast ultimately says this. If you do not worship the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast then we'll lose all control over all money. And again, I know a lot of people say, hey, I'm not worried about that. I'll be raptured out of here. You don't know your Bible. The rapture does not occur before the tribulation. And again, I direct you to Transforming Truths app. Get the Transforming Truth app. Find the series called Discerning the Days and listen to all of those messages. Because a lot of people are living under a cloud of delusion that think that they're going to escape the tribulation age. And I'm going to tell you, unless you die before the tribulation occurs, you're going through it. You're not getting raptured before the tribulation begins. And in the great tribulation, the last three and a half years, the mark of the beast is going to so predominate all commerce. You won't be able to buy food. You won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to sell anything. You're off the grid. And everything you've ever earned up to that point is gone. They take it. Now, why do I even bother bringing that up? Now, it's not to depress you. It is to let you know the way that we don't <laughs> fall prey. A, don't take the mark of the beast. Duh. But since you're going to lose it all, I'm just going to say it plain spoken. Instead of losing it all to the Antichrist, invest it all into the true Christ. Invest your money now into the kingdom of God. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. I, I know you've got these objections raising up. Yeah, but we got a plan for retirement. We need to make sure our 401k is settled. And I got to leave something for my kids and so on and so on. I'm just telling you that the end of the age is coming. And no matter what you do or don't do with your money, when the mark of the beast season comes, you, it's all gone. And everything that people are hoarding as Christians, holding back, keeping and accumulating wealth for the sake of accumulating wealth, it's all going to end up with the Antichrist. And what God's word says is, no, as you get it, be content with what you have, enjoy what God has blessed you with, 
but that is underneath the banner of doing good, being generous, and ready to help in every need. That's why he gives seed to the sower, so that you can keep sowing it into the kingdom harvest. So I'm going to wrap up right here because I've just given you a lot to think about. Um, but ultimately, let me let me strip away every you know everything I've I've kind of built this case on over the last two podcasts. I'm just going to boil it down for you. I'm going to help you right here. So I'm going to move off of the passionate Bible teaching moment, and I'm just going to look you in the eye as a pastoral figure and just say this: Hey, are you honoring God with your money? And if you are, can you grow in that? Can you invest more? Can you up your giving to your local church? And I'm, I'm assuming you're in a local church that you trust will use the money for the glory of God. If you're not, you're in the wrong church. But you release it. Those leaders are accountable for what they do with that money you release. But you release it as under the Lord and you're, you're, you're honoring God. That's, that gains you the reward that Jesus promised. And if you're not faithful in your giving, maybe you're doing like I did right after I got saved. I'm just throwing, casually throwing whatever I had in my pocket into the plate. I was back in the days of cash and coins and stuff. And I was broke, by the way. I wasn't making any money. I was broke, but I was happy to throw a 20 in the plate. And then I realized, oh, giving is not just supposed to be casual. It's supposed to be calculated, prayed over, intentional, faithful, regular first fruits. That means the the everything I do in my finances is tethered to what can I give unto the Lord. It affects what kind of house I live in. It has for 20-something years. If we did not give, we could we could buy a massive house. We could do that. I could have the nicest car if I didn't give. We could go on lavish vacations constantly if all I did was kind of tip God and throw a little here and there in the plate. We could do all of that stuff. And then when the end of the age comes, I, who lived it up on earth, would live with some measure of regret because I will not have a reward. And I don't want to do that. And so by faith, we release it now. So are you doing that? Are you being faithful with your finances? And if not, is it a trust issue or is it a greed issue or is it both? And could it be, just could it be that the reason why Jesus said, you're going to make a choice. You're going to pick between living for God or living for money. Those were his words, not my words. I believe them, but they, that, that was Jesus. Jesus said that the rival to your heart, the rival against God will be money. And he said, you're going to end up loving God and diminishing the significance of money. Or you're going to end up loving money and diminishing the significance of God. Jesus said that. So what is the answer? I'll give you some real practical advice and then I'm signing off. If you're not a giver, start giving 10% of your gross income every time you get paid to your church. Foundational giving. Give 10% of your gross income. Don't give Uncle Sam what they, they require before you give God his. Your first fruits. Start giving 10%. Do it for six months and tell me if whether or not God blesses you. I dare you. <laughs> of your gross income. If you make $100 a week, that means 10% goes to God. That means 10 bucks goes to your home church. You give it, you praise God, you thank him, and you live off of the rest. 
If you've already mastered the foundational, most basic principle of giving 10%, then I'm just going to say you, you should know that's not enough because if we're going to be talking about the tithe, the tithe always belonged to the Lord, but beyond the tithe is where we actually start bringing offerings and giving out of our own. And so you give beyond the tithe, like be generous, be ready to distribute, look for opportunities to give, give to missions, give to humanitarian organizations for the Christian ones, for the glory of God, like give over and above, give generously, give to building funds, give to discipleship programs, give to um, hosting revivals, give to projects in the kingdoms, help out, get involved, quit clutching your quarters. Some of y'all so tight fisted, you put in thumbprints indented in a dollar bill. Stop it and move into this place of generosity. And then some of you, this is a season for you to really consider what I said about your massive stockpile like your 401k, your stock portfolio, wherever, you know, wherever your money is, what would it require the Holy Spirit to call you to dip significantly into that and give a massive one-time offering somewhere that makes a difference in the kingdom? Like, do you get fearful when I mention that? Do you feel like I'm coming after your money? I don't even know who you are. I don't know what you have. I'm going to click stop on this recording here in a little bit, and I'm just going to trust God to do. But what I'm saying is some of you are so blessed and so wealthy, and it's never occurred to you to give beyond your regular monthly giving with an extravagant donation. Just do it. Pray about it. Ask God to show you where to sow it, and then sow it. Release it with joy, knowing you just stored up treasure for yourself in heaven. And you just eliminated another X amount of dollars that the Antichrist system will ever get their hands wrapped around. All right. I've given you plenty to think about today. You know what's funny is as I'm teaching this, I'm getting free in my spirit. I'm getting free in my spirit. I'm actually feeling good. I think I'm going to probably go and do something financially for the kingdom because I just feel the joy of Jesus that is freedom. Because I'm not bound by money and I won't live for it. And I'm not going to hoard it up and build and enrich my own life while the kingdom of God has great opportunities and needs that can only be met by Christians who hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, this is for you. This is the season. Open your hand, release what's in it, and I'll fill that hand again. Partner with God in your giving. Do so with joy. And listen. Thank you for tuning in and hanging in to these episodes on giving and finance. We'll talk to you about something maybe a little different next time. God bless. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.